Welcome to Tusk Talks, where we dive into the diverse student voices behind front page news. My name is Sam Spratford. And I'm Spencer Michaels. Normally, our episodes for this series are fairly laid back. We talk to one or two students who have a similar relationship to a specific campus issue. This edition is a little different. Stay tuned to find out why. On October 6, 2021, we published an article by staff news writer Spencer Michaels entitled Elevated Demand for Mental Health Services Strains Counseling Center. The article compiled narratives from a variety of student experiences with the Counseling Center and painted the picture of a clear shortage of mental health resources for Amherst students. Of the students interviewed, those who had the more time-sensitive and clinical mental health concerns reported being discouraged by the Counseling Center's long wait times, supposedly due to understaffing. They felt that the center staff did not have the time to pay careful attention to them and their needs, and reported that the treatment plans the center recommended were either inaccessible or undesirable to the student. Jackie Alvarez, who is the director of the Counseling Center, responded with a letter to the editor shortly after the article's publishing. To accommodate this demand, Alvarez stated that the center had recently changed the format of its initial assessments, increasing by 50% the availability of first-time appointments. Concerned that our coverage would discourage students from seeking treatment, Alvarez also provided a, quote, more complete picture of the resources available through the Counseling Center. Both of these articles are linked in the episode description. The team at the student did not want to stop reporting on student experiences and investigating the discrepancies between the perspectives of the student body and the Counseling Center. So, on this episode of Tusk Talks, we'll be hearing from Counseling Center psychologist Jordan Bernard and a randomized panel of students in order to learn where the conflict lies and how the situation can improve. Throughout the interview, Jordan seemed to be on the defensive, emphasizing that the Counseling Center is doing its best to accommodate student needs, that student complaints are anomalies, and that there doesn't seem to be any structural issues contributing to patterns of student dissatisfaction. However, what you will hear from students challenges this picture. So could you start by just introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Jordan Bernard. I am a clinical psychologist by trade uh, and one of the clinicians at the College Counseling Center. So what do your responsibilities include at the Counseling Center? My responsibilities include seeing students in a variety of capacities, individual therapy, uh, group therapy. I do consultation. Um, I'm also involved in our general operations and I help with assessment. So like data collection, student satisfaction, um, and I certainly do a lot of outreach. And how long have you been working at the college? I started in May of 2019. So I almost got a year under my belt before the pandemic hit. So just to preface this whole interview, um, first of all, I'd like to remind everyone that the Amherst student is completely independent from the college administration, and it seeks to highlight student voices and inform the student body about issues that are relevant to their experience at the college. Um, Going into this interview, uh, my goal with the discussion is to better understand from the perspective of the Counseling Center why many students have reported having poor experiences. And students have their own theories about this, but I'm hoping that we can have a transparent and honest discussion here about why these experiences have been so common. 
and hopefully we can start a dialogue that allows the counseling center to provide care that is more tailored to student needs. I hope the dialogue will eventually lead to a campus where students value the center and are able to utilize it more productively. I'm not at all trying to dissuade students from using the counseling center. Um, if you're listening and you need help, please consult the counseling center resources. My only point with having this discussion is that the scope of negative experiences that students have had with the counseling center needs to be valued and addressed. Fantastic. So just to begin, what do you see as the purpose of the counseling center on campus? Yeah, we are um, a place for student support. We are an independent, um, confidential body for student support. In independent meaning we are not an academic uh, department. So we are a medical department and students can um, come to us with a variety of concerns ranging from adjustment, depression, anxiety, um, all the way up to you know, relationship issues, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, and, and we service the entire student population. So any, it, all, all are welcome for a variety of concerns. And our goal is to meet, assess, um, support, refer, treat as appropriate. So in Spencer's article, we heard testimony from some students who had been here before the pandemic that the waiting period for appointments and communications has become frustratingly long in some cases. Um, your coworker, Jackie Alvarez, mm -hmm. um, told us that- My boss, actually. Your boss, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> your boss, Jackie Alvarez, told us that the center has been overwhelmed in light of the fact that we're just starting to make our way out of a globally traumatic period. Um, so I was wondering what actions has the center considered or taken for ameliorating this inaccessibility of services? Yeah, so I, I wanna kinda go back um, go back a little bit in, in terms of what, what you're saying there. So, so first off, I'm, I really appreciate what you said about students that need help, um, please contact us. We wanna, uh, that was something that Dr. Alvarez mentioned in her op-ed and, and I think it's really important is that our goal is, is rapid access, um, urgent care, for sure. So if anybody is feeling like they are in crisis, we want them to to reach out to us. We take um, we take student concerns so seriously, and um, we want them to come to us so that we can we can problem solve and we can triage and figure out what's what's going on. I think I want to talk a little bit about the idea of how our services are being viewed because. We, we don't want any, we would love it if no one had any complaints about our services. We know that that's not gonna happen. But we do really pride ourselves on the rapid access piece. Um, we have an average of call to first appointment of five days. That is really good when we know that in the community and when we know that um, in other counseling centers that could be much longer. Um, we've changed our services to be even more rapid access than what we've been in the past. Um, we have offer now, not only do we offer initial assessments, but we offer groups, workshops. Um, we have case management to help with referrals off campus. You know, our utilization rate, we've already seen over 20% of the student body. Um, we average, we've averaged over the last few years, seeing around 35 to 40% for a given year, and we're already at 20. So that's a pretty high number. And nationally, that number usually is around 
you know, anywhere between 10 to 20. So we're seeing a high amount of the, the campus and that's a, that's a tall order. We, we feel up to it. Um, we want to do our best, but I, I, I want to provide that data just to give some context into what's yeah. going on. Um, for sure. I think my reason, our, our reasoning, I think I can speak for Spencer too, for mm -hmm. bringing up the waiting times is less, is less about sending the message of, oh, look at how inaccessible these services are, and more about understanding whether you have any plans in sight for maybe expanding the center's staff to meet those needs in a more uh, timely manner. Spencer also, um, I think in Spencer's interview with Jackie, Jackie said it was actually a two-week average waiting period, not a five-day, because a five-day seems a lot more reasonable. Just a quick side note here. Spencer reached out to Ms. Alvarez the first time about two weeks before his article was published. When he asked Alvarez about the Counseling Center's general functioning this semester, Alvarez reported that students were experiencing an average wait time of two weeks due to an increased demand in Counseling Center services. This data was provided in a written email to Spencer. Alvarez also noted that this wait time would continue indefinitely until the center figured out a way to accommodate for increased demand. However, in her letter to the editor, Alvarez used that five-day average waiting time that Bernard also notes in this interview. We can only infer that this five-day waiting period is the most up-to-date statistic, and keep in mind that earlier in the semester, students were in fact experiencing much longer wait times as they also have in previous semesters. This dramatic shortening in waiting periods may be attributable to the Counseling Center's new procedure for first-time assessments, which Alvarez notes in her letter to the editor. It is still not completely clear when this shift took place, you can hear Bernard's response right now. I edit later. Yeah, that's fine. So when I spoke to Miss Alvarez about two weeks ago, um, she she did tell me that wait times for appointments were two weeks and kind of gave that wait time an almost indefinite period of existence, kind of saying that that's kind of how it is for the time being. Have you guys made such dramatic changes in the last two, three weeks that it's gone from 14 days to five? So... I guess I want to go back and, and understand where that number is coming from because all the number that I'm giving you is just the, the data that shows from point of call to their initial assessment. That is five, that has been five days for this year. So that, that's the only number that I'm referencing right now. And I believe she referenced that in her op-ed too. So that, that's a published number there. I want to go back to the, my main point with bringing this up in the first place, mm -hmm. which was, yeah. um, I'm part of the editorial board at the paper. We wrote an op-ed about the Counseling Center the same week that Spencer wrote his article. And one of the, one of the um, action plans that we suggested in our, um, in our editorial was for the Counseling Center to double its number of staff to meet some of this like, increased demand mm -hmm. for services. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just wondering from your perspective, your perspective, whether you have any plans to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to speak to our specific big picture plans in terms of how many staff we're going to have. That's that's really Dr. Alvarez's realm. Okay. We we are hiring. You know, we we've recently hired new staff. We are currently in the midst of of more 
hirings. This comes off the heels of President Martin's announcement last spring of increasing staff. And so we've followed through with that charge. Um, so so the short answer is yes, we, we are hiring. And you know the goal in any of those hires is to increase not just the amount of services we can offer, but just the breadth of services, you know, like people mm-hmm. with specialties, so that maybe we could do more work in the realm of eating disorders, more work, more work in the realm of ADHD, for example, and offer more specific services. Um, you know, be able to partner with different um, campus offices. So yeah, that's that's ongoing. Yeah. Um, in terms of doubling, like I said, I'm, I'm I don't I don't want to speak to that because that's more big picture. Yeah. We also noted in the editorial that there is a nationwide shortage of mental health workers. I was wondering, um, in the first place, whether you've had any trouble hiring because of that shortage? You know, I think that's a good question. I don't want to say we've, I mean, we've had, um, we've had very successful searches. I think our search process is under constant refinement. So we want to be as um, attractive as possible. We want to recruit the best people um, for all our jobs, but there are a lot of jobs out there. So um, I don't think that we've had, yeah, we've gotten, we've gotten some really good candidates. Um, We've, we've hired some really good people. And so I think it's going well. Now could, are there things that we could be doing to make ourselves more attractive? Absolutely. Every, I think every office, thinks about that um, to get the best people all the time. Yes. Um, but I think we, we, we work on it a lot. And the way we do hiring practices is we try to be as collaborative as possible. We have student involvement. We have involvement from Office of Student Affairs. So we hope that candidates leave with a really good sense of the Amherst College community. And, and ha- having recently been through this, you know, I just mm-hmm. went through it in 2019. Yeah. I thought it, you know, I thought it went really well. And I left my interview feeling like I got a good sense of the school. And certainly I decided to come here. Has there been any issues with funding from the administration or other obstacles, like institutional obstacles that have made it hard for the counseling center to expand recently? No, no. Okay. You mentioned wanting to constantly expand the scope of the depth and breadth of what the counseling center is able to provide students with in terms of support. So do any of the planned hires and changes in the center accommodate students belonging to minorities, such as international students, students of color, members of the LGBT community, or learning disabilities? Are things such as that being addressed? Yeah, no, great question. Um, we do have positions that have um, that fall under the broad category of uh, multicultural focus. So the hope is there that we can um, we can certainly um, support marginalized communities as best as po- as possible. I'll also say this is something that is very important to a lot, if not all, staff members. We talk about issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion every day. Um, we don't, you know, we don't, we, we just think about it in terms of our training. Um, we think about it in terms of the work that we do, the identity work. So yes, we, we are looking into um, marginalized communities, how best to support them. Um, we very much 
like to partner with the Center for International Student Engagement to make sure we're supporting international students that way. Um, so yes. <laughs> Bernard's confidence that the Counseling Center is on an efficient track to expand their staffing team contrasts with students' perception that things simply aren't growing quickly enough and that the staff at the center aren't equipped to deal with identity-based struggles, a prevalent issue at a school as diverse as Amherst. Specifically, Arlette Rodriguez, a sophomore, noted the lack of first-generation low-income support. Karina Perez-Cobb, a senior, emphasized the center's deficiency in women's and sexual trauma. And Zoe Callan, a first-year, spoke about the total absence of indigenous representation in the center's staff. I guess, kind of reflecting on like group therapy sessions. I know, so I'm Latina and there's, um on Fridays there's a group called La Platica, which is a space for Latinx students or Hispanic students that can be in like group therapy by Lola Brown at the counseling center. So I know there's that, but I think of course there's always, there can always be more help for like certain identities or marginalized identities. I feel like specifically for some students that are first generation low income, we have groups, but sometimes some issues that we are dealing with are can't. They're harder to uh, find people they can talk to because it's just, it's such a. Sometimes we want to like keep things to ourselves. It's like a very toxic culture within ourselves. So I feel like there could be more work done there. But again, there's always more work that can be done in yes. anything. <laughs> yes. So like this just could go on forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've used the counseling center since my first semester. And I'm a transfer student, so I use the Counseling Center at my previous school, mm-hmm. too. Um, and I've cycled through four counselors because, like, I didn't find them helpful. A lot of it is talk therapy, which can be helpful for some people, but that wasn't what I needed. Um, and so I tried to get with Laura, who's a specialist in sexual trauma and violence and, like, interpersonal issues, and waited a month to see her while having a crisis um and on the first appointment said that I couldn't see her because of a conflict of interest which was like very disappointing because I waited a month specifically for her and had talked to her before but was denied care so had to wait another week um to see someone else yeah I think that having more therapists of color is definitely something that they should be reaching for I myself am Navajo and I have a lot of um, friends who are Native American or Latinx or other um, people of color and that's one thing that's a bit difficult is mm-hmm. there's not a lot of resources for people of color and like I don't know if a white therapist would be able to help with some of the specific issues that I deal with um, and so for that reason I usually don't try to get help for those issues which can be kind of a problem Yeah, and I know some friends some of my friends are lucky and they have like previous um they have outside counseling that they have because they had it previously and mm-hmm. they're just still doing through college but other of my friends that like I know for a fact that the counseling center here on campus would be their only option so there there's varying levels of people wanting to and not wanting to use it mm-hmm. um I think one of my friends has already used the counseling center and likes has has had a positive experience with the care that they've gotten, um, but another one of my friends didn't. 
so regardless of the actual length of wait times or the capacity of the counseling center's staff the center is certainly projecting the aura that they're overworked in arlette's response students empathize with this and it has led some to feel guilty about seeking out services asking questions or giving the center personalized feedback about what they could be doing better this is a very significant barrier to the center meeting the needs of the student body So kind of shifting away from the big picture stuff and counseling to the more psychiatry side, because mm -hmm. I spoke to a lot of students in the course of writing my article, and an overall pattern I noticed was that the students that were in there just getting light counseling in there preemptively, just working through some light stuff, nothing serious diagnosable, they had great experiences. They really liked the counselors, they really liked that bi-weekly schedule flexibility. But the students that needed the most help, the students that need medication for depression, anxiety, ADHD, these, those were the students that felt the most marginalized and that had the most complaints. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most common concerns I heard from that part of the student body was involving medication and the interactions with the, their psychiatrists uh, through the center. So how would you respond to those students that are being prescribed these controlled drugs and are incredibly uncomfortable with what they're getting, but are not getting the responsiveness they need from their psychiatrist. Yeah, well, I'll certainly echo what I said earlier. Um, we, it's devastating to hear negative um, student experiences. So I would say, what a, how much of this, um, how were you able to communicate this to your providers and if you didn't get a good response to that again I'll harken back to this is the kind of thing that we want students to bring to Dr. Alvarez's attention so that we can do um, the necessary problem solving with that. Sure and something that I discussed a bit with Jackie in my interview with her a few weeks ago was who holds the center accountable we're a part of student affairs so you just go up the, the ladder I mean it's it's pretty simple okay. Jackie is, Dr. Alvarez is the director of the Counseling Center. Her boss is Liz Augusto, the dean of students. Her boss is President Biddy Martin. So, and, and one thing that I've, in my time here, there, that I've been really pleasantly surprised at is that the open doors with uh, administrators here. So, so I think in terms of who holds us accountable, and, and students hold us accountable, you know, like, I mean, this is being the consumer, you all hold us accountable by sharing with us the feedback and there's a pretty clear outline of who, who's what's the reporting structure. Sure. Spencer's impression that the center isn't equipped to deal with more serious mental health concerns was corroborated by my conversations with students. We heard earlier about Karina's inability to find support in the midst of a crisis related to sexual trauma. Sam Hodges, a junior, also brought up services for neurodivergency, something that Bernard knows is lacking. However, Hodges' comments emphasize the pressing need for the center to accommodate for students' documented clinical needs and expand beyond casual counseling. Uh, 
I've been, like, looking into, like, it, you know, um, like, ADHD and autism, like, both for myself and then also I have, like, some other friends who are figuring out because it's, like, a thing that a lot of people figure out in college. Yeah. And just, like, it, <laughs> the resources, like, okay, so for, like, broader context, like, it, the only, um, like, it, diagnoser, like, in the local area is currently not accepting new clients as of, like, a few months ago, so, like, I know that's been an issue for some people, but then, like, you know, you'd hope that, like, maybe the counseling center could, like, step up and, like, have more, I guess, like, just, like, at least group therapy things or, like, something, like, geared specifically towards, like, it, people, like, it, autistic or people with ADHD or, like, something like that, but there's, like, literally nothing. Yeah, like, a neurodivergent like, yeah. like support group. Because it just, like, it, group. yeah, it just doesn't exist. So it's, like, if you, like, it, are, like, looking into it, basically, from what I've, like, figured, like, everyone just kind of talks to their friends and creates support groups, like, within their friends, but there's no official, support, like, support structure, like, at all, mm-hmm. like, in literally any capacity. So then you're, like, trying to figure out, like, you know, oh, shit, like, I have sensory issues. What helps with sensory issues? Except, like, you know, there's no official, like, class thing. Like, they have the anxiety classes and things like that, but there's nothing like that you can go to. So then you're just kind of, like, on your own. And then it's definitely, like, not helped by the every two weeks thing because then you can only get through so many, like, tips for dealing with your life especially if you have like other stuff going on so it's like what needs can I prioritize to like get through in an hour and you end up basically just like coming up with lists with your friends instead of like mm-hmm. using the counseling center yeah and I think that's very much you know you, I, I've heard you know you say reach out communicate with them but students just aren't getting reciprocity, which I understand, but especially for students that are on these medications that need consistent refills, that need consistent yes. moder- monitoring, especially with these medications that are, are no joke. How would you respond to, to that? Because you say, like, reach out to the counselors, but the counselors don't reply. I stand by what I say, that if, you, if the communication isn't going well, then you have to go up the chain, and that's, that's what we have. We have these steps for student satisfaction so you know you didn't get your response you wanted to that's where dr alvarez comes into play because there could be um there could be reasons before behind that and there could you know that's part of her job you know like as the director of the center to say gee what's going on here well let's let's talk about this more spence and maybe we can see what what we can do about it if something falls under the cracks um if there's a mistake that gets made then, you know, we want to correct it. Um. Bernard urges students to take personal responsibility for the success of their healing journey. Students certainly desire to take this responsibility. However, without communication of the resources available, this is a burdensome, if not impossible, goal. Here's what Karina has to say about this issue. And I also, when I transferred, I asked them, to do a support group for survivors because they have so many of them and they created a they created one last semester but it wasn't linked with the counseling center it's linked to the health educations but like did such bad advertising for that too like 
I had to ask myself again this semester if there was anything new. They're like, oh yeah, this. And I was like, dude, I could have used that. <laughs> the the issue is that, and I feel like that this is what happening. What's happening in the way we're talking about this is that like we're we're trying to say like let's create a structural thing to fix this mm-hmm. when we don't have the specifics. Like you all got, you all talk to students and you got the specifics. That's great. But like as yeah. a, as a system, we can't do that. You know, we can't go off of narratives that are in an article with students that aren't talking to our leadership. We, we need, I mean, we need that. Anyone would need that. It's not just that we would need that. So, um, so I think that that's just an important piece here is that like, we certainly, we want to give voice to the people that have concerns um, and we want to hear those voices because that's the only way that we can promote positive change. If there is a pattern from that, then yes, we want to address it and figure out what it is. Part of my role is assessment, so data collection. And so we do have a survey that is anonymous. Okay. So every, the hope is every year, it hasn't, um, you know, COVID changed things a little bit, but we did recently do a student satisfaction survey. So every student that was seen at least once for any reason okay. was given a link, totally anonymous, um, rating on it was very thorough so rating on everything that we do and also just a blank narrative so anything that wasn't covered you could just talk about mm-hmm. so we do we try to do that and we collect that data and we talk about it you know I, I, i'm the one that presented that so so i'm very familiar with that um and we have a chance to talk about what are the themes as you mentioned um, yeah. there and what we can do and 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 i'll say the last time we did that survey again, going back to this rapid access piece, like we know that students want to be seen sooner. So we, the, the, the part of the, the passion behind um, the way we're doing initial assessments is to, to change that and okay. to allow for that. You're calling, you can be seen. And not only can you be seen, but you can also do things in the meantime, like going to workshops and finding out more information about different areas. You know, it's important to try to have a dialogue with these yes. kinds of things because there's there's contextual pieces it's yeah. it's um there's q a about it, you know you gotta yeah. question and answer and i agree that's kind of my purpose with this next little segment hold on i'm gonna sneeze i don't want to cough In this next section of the podcast, we will be moving away from discussing specific concerns and interactions students have had with the Counseling Center. Instead, we will pull the conversation to a wider point of view, discussing the culture of mental health at Amherst with both students and the center. in general do you think are the most relevant for Amherst students? Well, um, we break things down into, like, when we think about concerns um, that that Amherst students face, certainly there's congruence with the national trend, anxiety, depression, uh, academic concerns um, are important, relationship issues, identity concerns, issues with systemic racism, um, um, other kinds of discrimination, hate and discrimination, uh, not just racism. You know, we, we support students in those domains every, every day. Um, I would say those are important. Added, the added piece is the, the kind of um, obvious one that we're at 
you know, one of the most challenging institutions in the country. Perfectionism is super high. Um, so the pressure is massive and you have students that um, are just used to a very high amount of academic success and now they're coming into an environment where that is everywhere. And so um, that creates some of those other things I talked about, anxiety, stress, academic concerns. Um, Most of the areas Bernard highlighted were also areas of mental well-being that the students I interviewed said were relevant. With regards to the perfectionism and anxiety piece, students recommended some higher level changes that could be made to alleviate some of the burden. Along with emphasizing the importance of the class dean and advocating to professors for the well-being of the student, students also suggested that there be a standardized way for professors to approach accessibility. Here's Karina, Zoe, and Thomas Brody, a senior, on the issue. So at my previous college, I went to Davidson College, and they have a very, very strong honor code. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a no-questions-asked policy. If you need an extension, you get an extension, because um, they trust that if you're asking for an extension, you need an extension. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that has made, like, it made such an even playing field. But at Amherst, that doesn't exist. Like, there isn't that kind of culture of trust between professor and student. Um, I think that the thing that your old college did is super admirable, and I definitely yeah. wish that Amherst had something like that. Like, I think I am super lucky that I have the professors that I have, mm -hmm. but I think that it would be really awesome if all professors were like that, and if there was, like, a rule that they had to be like that, I think would help with holding professors accountable for letting students have the extensions that they need. Yeah, I think I think it's a, uh, it'd be a really good policy, especially because... So much of uh, Amherst culture is built around trusting that students are going to try and they're going to put an effort, they're not just going to totally slack off. And I think that we should apply that same amount of trust to uh, you know, extensions and make it a more universal policy. If, um, if there's a policy that they have to follow, that's, that's great, but it's not going to, to solve a lot of the issues that, that students face with professors, since there's still so much that's up to the professor's discretion. So I think uh, for faculty selection, for example, there should be an emphasis on accessibility. There should be more of that. I remember I was involved in hiring faculty uh, last semester, and they're, they kind of left it to the students to pick professors who would have these kinds of accessibility policies. There wasn't much of that in the actual selection process, for the school. Um, so I'd love to see more of that. One service that the Counseling Center offers is case management, in which students meet with the center's case manager and are taught how to use a database called Shrinkspace, which lists therapists in the area that are willing to work with college students. In this next portion of the interview, we talked to Bernard a little more generally about the sorts of challenges college students face when they're seeking mental health treatment outside of the school. For students who don't really have, this might be their first time seeking mental health care, um, or they've just come from a background where they're not very experienced with navigating mm -hmm. those systems, they might not have a diagnosis yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess what sorts of supports are in place to 
kind of provide an education piece or maybe um, maybe walk students through the process a little more closely? What I would say to students is that it can feel overwhelming. It's something you may never have had to do before. There are some students that are used to that because they've dealt with it because of their own health issues since they were you know, teenagers. Mm-hmm. But you're right, a lot of students come in having not dealt with it ever before. Um, we want them to try it out, learn some of those skills about doing it, and if they have a problem, they can come back and talk to our case manager again and say, okay, what worked, what didn't work? Maybe we can try other people. Maybe we can try contacting this person. I do acknowledge the fact that there is mental health concerns are on the rise. The pandemic has not helped that. The number of clinicians that are available is not the same, is, is, is lower. So there is, a, there is an unmet need in the community in both the therapist side and in the psychiatry side. Um, we, we get that. Um, so it, it, it can take, that could make the homework even harder than it used to be. As you mentioned, one of the concerns is price and mm. insurance. Yeah. You know, it can routinely go into the triple digits for a yes. single hour of care. And when you need that care routinely as, mm-hmm. well, as well with, as well as the costs of expensive medications, you know, it, it almost begins to feel like there's a barrier where the students who are fortunate enough to have good insurance, such as myself, are able to get the, the, the care they need incredibly fortunately and I you know I give thanks to that every single day but a lot of students aren't able to afford or their insurance doesn't cover this external care so they're to put it bluntly they're they're stuck with the counseling center and then they kind of feel this repetitive falling through the cracks and they're struggling to find somebody outside so they're they're trapped is there any financial assistance or uh, financial or logistical assistance for those kinds of students? So I'll answer as generally as I can. So we take every situation um, independently and try to tailor what we can do. Um, We refer students a lot to the Office of Case Management to see if there's any funding from the Student Affairs Case Management side of things. Um, We can't guarantee anything, but we certainly can refer students to case management. That's what they're there for. we, I also want to say the student insurance is really good, has really good mental health benefits. That helps us out a lot because students that are here um, on high financial need hopefully have the student insurance. And so therefore we can trust that their insurance, that insurance is going to help them out. For me, this just emphasizes once again the fact that I, I truly do think that the counseling center needs more case managers. Um, you only have one right now. Um, and based on the complexity and the sensitivity um, of the process of searching for a therapist and figuring out insurance questions, like these are all things that students need a sustained, reliable relationship with a case manager to mm-hmm. figure out. And I think at, at least from my perspective, that should be a, a priority. Yeah. Awesome. I have two final questions that are kind of just one question to wrap things up. Um, from the experiences uh, that students have had with the pandemic and just like over the past year, um, 
what has the center learned or changed in their approaches to uh, treatment and outreach with mm. students? What have we learned? We're always learning. Yes. Uh, the pandemic <laughs> is ongoing. Um, so I think, oops, sorry. Um, we are, what have we learned? I think from a big picture standpoint, we learned that telehealth is here to stay. And um, there are a lot of benefits to telehealth that students and really the general population can benefit, can, can adapt to telehealth. And there's a lot of ways that we can continue to use that. So I would say that's something we've learned. Um, what else have we learned? Uh, we've learned that the need for self-compassion is just at an all-time high, that people's bandwidths are lower than they've ever been. People are dealing with so many issues around restrictions and just not seeing people, um, not seeing friends, not seeing family, and still having the demands of classes. And um, sometimes that means things can fall through the cracks. And so we need to be compassionate with ourselves. We need to be compassionate with one another. Um, there's this term that came out from the New York Times uh, that I really like. They, they referred to what's happening during the pandemic as languishing. And I thought that really fit with what we all are experiencing and certainly students experienced last year. There was a lot of languishing. It's not the, the same kind of um, decompensating that you sometimes attribute to mental illness, but it's not thriving. It's kind of in the middle, languishing. And that was really helpful to put a, a word to it because I think languishing is not what we want students to be doing. We want them to be thriving. Mm -hmm. And so what we've learned is that um, we need to make sure we are doing all that we can to incorporate thriving into student life. Awesome. Students also highlighted that the improvements to the counseling center would not be a panacea for mental health struggles on campus. Zihan and Arlette both mentioned the toxicity of productivity culture on Amherst campus and students' tendencies to chug through mentally harmful workloads without taking a break or relying on friends for support. In short, Students have a share in the responsibility of supporting one another and changing mental health culture on campus. I think there's a really big, actually more than I would have thought, culture of um, work hard, play hard. Um, it's way more than I thought, because I knew it was a thing at a lot of schools coming into college, but after you know a year and a bit here, it's definitely a case where I, I know of a lot of people kind of just grind it out during the week even if it means like their mental kind of takes a bit of a toll and then resetting a bit over the weekend and I, I'm really not sure that that's necessarily the most um productive way of going through it in that sense one thing that I'd like to see both in myself and in others is like a shift towards more sustainable practices because I think burnout is something I experienced first semester last year really badly towards the end and I think that's true of a lot of kids. And I think moving away from just kind of like putting your head down and getting through stuff, even if it means, you know, taking a toll on your mental or, and or physical health, I think getting away from that attitude would do a lot of good for the campus. Which I understand this is the Amherst culture and we did, I mean, we're all like high achievers, but sometimes I wish it would be, people would realize that their bodies are important because you have to do with your body the rest of your life and you need to know how to take care of it. And I think I kind of wish that there was more of a, 
it was more normal to take care of yourself and slow down and not allow Amherst to steal your happiness and to exploit your body and mind. So that's something that I, I noticed from the student body. It's like, if I'm like, oh, I'm taking a break, I'm not going to work. It's like, oh, you're not working enough. You're doing something wrong. It's like, if you're not busy, you're doing something <laughs> wrong. It's like, no, taking care of myself is an extracurricular and I'm going to keep it that way. started offering a lot of new resources recently so one could you maybe give a, a link where students could go to view all of those and then maybe talk briefly about sort of the the general changes you've been trying to make with these new resources you're offering mm-hmm. or like some highlights from from your changes yeah yeah so um you can go to our website um so it's i think it's amherst.edu slash counseling um or if you just google amherst, amherst college counseling you'll get to it that way mm-hmm. um and you'll you can scroll our tabs one tab says resources that'll show some information um, we have a groups and workshops page um, we have a clinical services page. So if you just want to hear about all the different types of services, um, you can go to that page and it'll kind of outline some of these different things that we've been talking about. Um, in terms of our groups and workshops, we offer process groups and then we offer workshops. So the difference between process groups are more long-standing groups where you really get to build relationship with other students in a closed setting. Workshops are um, more uh, open-ended, or I should say informal, drop-in, you can come. We have some workshops. Currently, we're doing workshops around transitioning to college, or not even transitioning to college, but transitions as it relates to college. So transitioning, this is your first time. Maybe you're transitioning from college to a job. Maybe you are um, transitioning from spending a year remote, and now you're back. So we have workshops on transitioning, Um, as it relates to college life. We have workshops on emotional strength training. We have workshops on anxiety. Um, They are happening every week, multiple times per week. So you don't even have to, if you can't make one, you can make another and you can make another one, great. You can go every week, you don't have to. Um, So yeah, those are, I think those are some of our current offerings. We hope that students, there's no limit on utilizing those. And again, the the Zoom links for a lot of those are, are published right on our website. So you just have to come in and, you know, you know, you leave your, if you're a little hesitant, leave your camera off, but come in, listen, see what's going on, um, and then come back. Awesome. That's all I had to talk about. Thank you for talking with us, Jordan. Thank you, too. It's a pleasure. As two students who personally understand the mental health struggles members of the Amherst community face, we would like to encourage all students listening to seek the help that they need, be it through the counseling center, an off-campus provider, or a telehealth service such as MySSP. Information about these services can be found on the counseling center's website. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tusk Talks. Special thanks also to the team at The Student, including Becca Picciotto, Ryan Yu, and our lead audio editor, Cole Richards. Once again, I'm Sam. And I'm Spencer. And thank you for joining us.